welcome into the lounge we're getting close to draft time we're counting down the days to the nfl draft and i'm here for you in the lounge to help you best prepare for your rookie drafts i have a few more episodes left until the draft i have a great guest tonight i have another guest in a week we're going to do a rookie mock draft and then after that i'm going to do a solo podcast where i rank my top 10 wide receivers top 10 running backs to get you prepared for the nfl draft after the nfl draft i will quickly produce a youtube video and podcast with updated rankings due to the landing spots and draft capital of those prospects to help you prepare and be ready for the draft now I'm going to take a break after that. I really want to work on the website. I want to get my rankings up. I want to get articles out. I want to get you ready for the 2020 season if we have a 2020 season. So I'll still be on Twitter. I'll be working on YouTube, uh, working on the website, just trying to prepare for that 2020 draft. But what I need from you listeners out there, I need you to reach out to me through DMs. I need to know what you want from me, what maybe I'm missing, what I need to add, how can I provide better content for you. The reason I do this is to help you succeed, help you win, perhaps provide a resource to you uh, that you can put in your toolbox and just become a better fantasy owner in general. So any way that I can do that, please reach out to me. Please let me know. Please subscribe to the podcast on Apple leave me a review, find me on YouTube at Roto Lounge, find me on Instagram, let me know you're out there. This is why I do it. I'm going to try something new uh, this episode. So when you look at the total time, I want you to take off the last 25 minutes because what I'm going to do at the end of this episode, after the credits, I'm going to play one side of one of my vinyl records, and that's Miles Davis kind of blue and the reason i want to do that is i want to introduce anyone that's interested in jazz music i want to give them the opportunity to listen to that and just kind of make up their own ideas or their own opinions of that type of music so if it's for you stick around till after the episode if it's not for you the fantasy content comes first i have a great episode a great guest so why don't we just get to it grab your drink And here we go. I want to introduce my next guest to the lounge. He's a fantasy analyst skilled in all things Debbie, which includes the 2020 draft prospects. He's here to talk to us today. He's also the nicest person you're going to meet on Twitter. It's at Devi underscore K-A-N-E. He's also the quality assurance lead over at Devi Diet, ensuring that you have elite snacks. Give it up for my man, Mr. Kane Fassell. What's up, man? Thanks for having me on. I appreciate it. Hey, man, thanks for joining me. I've been looking forward to this for a long time. We're going to talk fantasy NFL prospects. The draft's coming up in a month. But before we get there, Kane, you're in the lounge. Are you a social drinker? Um, I'm an all-the-time drinker. <laughs> well, that's good. You're going to fit right in the lounge. What are you drinking on tonight? Um, 
Shells Cream Ale. Shells is my brewery of choice here in Minnesota. It's actually the second oldest family-run brewery in the United States. Uh, it was made in like the early 1800s, and they've been kicking out good beer ever since. So uh, this is their new one called the Cream Ale. So I'm jamming on that. If this was uh, at Devi Diet on Twitter, what would you compare this beer to? You know, I would probably compare it to like Michael Pittman because it's solid. You know, it's not one of those cheap beers where you're not sure what you're going to really solid drink. So every time you're going to get the same consistent thing, which is always what you get with a guy like Michael Pittman. Nice. And I remember one of the first times I, I interacted with you. I don't even think that Debbie Diet was born at that point. You were talking about the Ruffles all dressed up and, and you made a comment about why was Canada hiding this from us for so long? And I thought it was the the funniest thing I'd heard all day. And from that, I think the Debbie Diet spawned. I don't, is that still on Twitter? Maybe I can splice it in this video here. Yeah, it's, all of those are on Twitter. Um, that's kind of how it started. I just wanted to know what Canadians were hiding from us uh, <laughs> because we found these all dressed chips and they were amazing. I was like, well, I like talking about football and I like talking about chips. So I just kind of combined the two. I don't post them as often as I'd like to. Just gotten a little busy. But I try to do that as often as possible. Next, we're kicking off a series on Canadian chocolate bars. So we have eight Canadian chocolate bars. So we're going to see which one reigns supreme. Nice. I can't wait for that. No, I, I sent you a bag of Grippos to the Debbie Diet here from Cincinnati. The barbecue yeah, loaded with barbecue flavor. Yeah. <laughs> I was not anticipating barbecue chips to be spicy, uh, but they were good. But I just couldn't have too many of them. You know, this white Norwegian body can only take so much spice before I can't eat it anymore. What else are you working on? Let the listeners know, or the viewers, what else you were... Oh, before oh, before we get started, I didn't even tell you what I'm drinking on, Kane. I see you drink that beer. Let me see if I can get in the... Uh, Billet bourbon? It's, yes, the bullet bourbon. It's uh, the state of Ohio purchased four barrels from Bullet. They bottled, I think it was like 400 bottles uh, of a single barrel. They got four single barrels. So this is 104 proof. And this is what I'm going to drink on tonight. Last week when I had a PA Howdy on, I went through a quarter bottle of my Weller 107. So this is a little lighter, 104 proof. So things might not go off the rails as quickly, but I can't promise anything. Back to where you were. Tell tell the listeners uh, where they can find you, what, what you're working on. Yes, yeah, so you can always find me on Twitter at Debbie underscore Kane. I have a podcast with Caleb Pearson where we do the Devi Marketplace where, it's, where we're just talking about uh, Devi just in a different idea, in a different context. So we're only talking about them as values because we know we're not going to start any of these guys for our fantasy team for at least another year. So we want to make sure that we're buying and selling those at the right time because it's just another asset that we're able to use in trades. So that's what we're doing there. And then I also write for DLF. I'm one of the Debbie writers over at DLF. And right now I'm focusing on the uh, 2020 recruiting class. My next article is going to be on the wide receivers of the 2020 recruiting class. So people get some ideas as to who they need to be looking out for both this year in Debbie drafts and also who you might be able to buy cheap because they might not be starting or might not be playing as much that first year. So definitely trying to look at when there's buy windows and things like that. And that's really what we try to do. So tell the listeners, for those that don't know what Debbie is exactly, tell the listeners what Debbie is. So Debbie is just, it's just like a dynasty league, but we just add the addition that you're able to draft college players that are still in college and you get to draft them before they're even in your rookie draft. So, you know, all the really well-known guys like Tua, C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, uh, Jonathan Taylor, all of those guys are already picked. 
So when you do end up having your rookie draft, you really have to fight for some of those guys that uh, might have made a splash this year. So like your Joe Burrow, uh, Jordan Love, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, Justin Jefferson, Denzel Mims, those sort of guys that wouldn't have been picked in a Debbie league, that's who you're going to be fighting for in rookie drafts. So it just gives you, you know, another piece to trade before your rookie drafts even come. Yeah, so anyone that maybe not doesn't participate in Debbie, I don't participate in Debbie leagues, but I find it very resourceful to listen to those that are in Debbie. They can kind of give you a head start on the prospect before they get to the NFL if you're not at that level yet in fantasy football. So those that aren't in the Debbie formats, it's still okay to listen to the podcast just to get an idea of those players that are out there that you can anticipate coming into your uh, your drafts in a few years. All right, well, good. So like I mentioned, last week I had P.A. Howdy on. We talked about some NFL draft prospects according to the data. He's a data guy. You're a film guy. I wanted to have two separate viewpoints of a prospect. He gave me his top five based on data, and I'm going to get your top five based on film. So we're going to talk about running backs. We're going to talk about receivers. Uh, We can start with running backs. From a film perspective, what are some traits that you look for on film that you're going to grade highly for a guy? Um, So the first, we'll just talk about running the ball first. So the first thing I'm going to look at is the vision. I want to know that as a running back is is approaching the line, if he's able to find the right hole or if he's running into the back of linemen, is he, you know, as soon as he takes that first step with the ball in his hands, is he already anticipating where the linebacker is going to be and what hole he's going to fill and how he's going to get past that linebacker. And those sort of traits, especially trying to read that linebacker, means more in the NFL level because you're just going to have linebackers that are quicker at diagnosing plays. So that's why you really want those running backs that do really, really well on reading the defense so they can gain those extra yards. The second thing I like to look at when it comes to them running the ball is I just want to see their run style. So that's the next thing I look at because it matters if they're a power runner, if they work better in a zone scheme, those sort of things, um, because you don't want, especially after the NFL draft hits, you don't want a power running guy like A.J. Dillon or Zach Moss to be put on a zone run scheme because it won't actually use their their athletic ability to the fullest. But, you know, if you have a guy like J.K. Dobbins who can really excel in a zone run scheme and he gets put there, that makes sure that he's actually going to be used to that full potential. Um, so that's the next thing that I look for. After that, I want to see how they look in the open field because, you know, most of these big runs, especially if you get a big run from a running back, they have to make a guy miss. And there's a variety of different ways guys do that. It could be by their agility. It could be by their power. But I want to see how well they can make guys miss. It's not just about breaking tackles because you don't have to make break a tackle if you've already made them miss. So I want to see how well they do in the open field. The next trait I look for comes to pass catching. So I want to make sure that they're actually catching with their hands and I want to see their elbows extended. So I want to see their arms extended and catching the ball rather than um, catching with their hands close to their chest, because that's just another way for, you know, a gunslinging guy like, you know, an Aaron Rodgers or Pat Mahomes to throw it really hard through your hands, bounce off your, you know, your shoulder pads, and then it's an incomplete pass, which we've seen from guys over and over again. Why do you think Adrian Peterson doesn't catch the ball? It, it's, it's, it's all of those things, and that's why you really want to make sure, 
especially now as we've transitioned away from this standard scoring in fantasy football to either a half PPR or a full PPR. We really have to take into account guys that can catch the ball well and can do it in space because anytime you get a running back catching the ball, you want them to be able to do it in space because that's an automatic one-on-one. So it's the running back versus whoever he's against. And if you can make that guy miss and it goes back to that open field ability, that just gives them another chance to pick up more yards and pick up more points for your fantasy football team. Do you take into consideration pass blocking or do you think that's something that's going to be a learned skill at the next level? I I often don't. If we take into account a guy like Jonathan Taylor, right, who many think is the number one running back in this class, he he wasn't often asked to pass block as often, right, because it's a run heavy team and they had a third down running back. There's a, it's also the same reason why Jonathan Taylor didn't get many catches because there's a guy by the name of Garrett Groshek who's been the third down back for now a couple of years at Wisconsin. So he's the guy that's coming in to do that pass blocking on third down pass plays as well as receiving out of the backfield. I don't really take it into account that much because that's the first thing that's going to be worked on as soon as they get to the NFL. So I'm not too terribly worried about it because I know if you're saying – a lot of people think that Cam Akers might not be the greatest pass blocker, but that's also going to be worked on as soon as they get into the NFL. He wasn't asked as much to be a pass blocker, especially when he played as a quarterback in high school. So being a running back is a whole new thing to him. So they didn't ask him to do that because they really wanted him to just focus on using his athletic ability. All right, so let's go ahead and dive into your five running backs. Now, these can be your top five if you want, unless you have those ranked somewhere else you want listeners to go to. Or you can just give me five random running backs, whether you think they're going to be valued during your draft, that you something you've seen on tape that, that maybe you can find some value. Or you can talk about who's just the best in this class that we have to have on our fantasy rosters going into the 2020 season. So why don't you start with a running back? Or as Peter did, he just threw out five and we just discussed five. Uh, however you want to do it, we'll discuss. So I'll give you my top five. We can always talk about guys that are going to be steals a little later on in drafts. But my top five, DeAndre Swift is first, then Jonathan Taylor, Cam Akers. That's my tier one. My tier two is J.K. Dobbins and Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And I think after those top five, I think things get really, really murky at the running back position. All right, so we can go ahead and eliminate Akers. I think Akers is probably around three or four. Everyone's heard of Akers, right? But what I'm interested in, a lot of people... You know, in the offseason, I think DeAndre Swift was the darling. He was expected to be the top back in the class. He's been overtaken by Jonathan Taylor, I think, by a lot of, of people. I don't think the NFL is as high on Jonathan Taylor as perhaps the fantasy community. So tell us why you have Swift number one. And, and again, you may have mentioned why Jonathan Taylor has dropped for you. But talk about why you have Swift one and Taylor two. Um, so... There's there's two main things. First, I think Swift is a better pass catcher, and I really like to rely on guys that are better pass catchers because I think they just have more longevity in the NFL, which, and then Adrian Peterson just completely proves that wrong, right? <laughs> but and then if you look at what DeAndre Swift does well, he can play in both styles of offense. So he can play in both a zone and a power running scheme. And I think that's going to be really, really interesting to teams as they try and figure out which one they prefer to be, because most teams usually use both. Um, And that's why it's really important that you have a guy that can do both. And Jonathan Taylor is a much, much, much better power running back than he is a zone running back. Yeah, and I think that most NFL evaluators are are most likely film guys, right? 
I mean, there's some analytics spread out throughout the NFL, but but most of them are film guys, and they probably see exactly what you see. And I think that's why Swift is probably atop most boards because he can do it all, right? In the past, you've seen weapons like Kamara and, and now Eckler and, and Saquon Barkley, and Swift is more of a weapon uh, than he is just a traditional running back. And, and, you know, we talk about Jonathan Taylor, and when I watch Jonathan Taylor, there are instances running the football. He is built similar to like a Saquon. He looks similar to Saquon, but he doesn't have the receiving chops that Saquon has. He doesn't have that ability to be a weapon. And I think you've hit the nail on the head. That's what NFL evaluators are probably looking for, that all-around package that can play every down. He can catch out of the backfield. He can run the football. So if you're drafting now, if you're drafting today, right, Swift's your one-on-one rookie drafts, where do you put him in, like, a redraft? Do you think he's going to hit right off the bat? Does it matter? Does it depend on his landing spot? Where would you take him in a fantasy draft right now? Yeah, so I think it's all landing spot dependent because we've seen at least two rookie running backs every year end up in the top 24 for running backs. So we see that time and time again, and that is dependent on that landing spot, right? We had Josh Jacobs this year and David Montgomery, not saying, oh, and Miles Sanders. We actually had three, but that was all because of the landing spot that they were in, right? And obviously, Miles Sanders happened a little bit more because we saw that injury happened to uh, Jordan Howard. But they put these running backs in a place to succeed. And that's really what matters, because the only thing that matters for running backs is opportunity, because only one guy can carry the ball each play. Now, do you think any of these running backs in your top five are landing spot dependent or do you think they if they go to any landing spot, they're going to be successful? I think if if we are just taking out, not talking about like the play style of teams, whether it's zone versus power running, I think the one that is the most tricky, and I think that's Clyde Edwards-Alaire. And that's because he works really well in a pro-style system. If you see the routes that he runs out of the backfield, that's in a pro-style system because it gives the running back choice, which is not something that you often see. So that's one guy that I want to see in a more advanced passing system because I think he'll excel the most there. So I'm talking like the Saints use Alvin Kamara, right? So he can they can both line him out wide. He can run routes from the backfield, but they let Alvin Kamara choose where he wants to go on some routes. And that's really where Clyde Edwards-Alaire excels because he, he has a really high football IQ. He just might not have the size and the speed that some of these other guys do. Yeah, I've been hearing some buzz that, that Clyde Edwards-Alaire will be, you know, end of round one, early round two type back. And again, the, the NFL is now valuing that receiving back, that extra weapon on offense, you know, rather than just a player that's going to sit in the back and just block. Someone that can go out and actually, you know, make plays. Let's talk about J.K. Dobbins. Now, for me, I don't have, and I talked about this last week, I don't have J.K. in my top five. So I want to know why or what you see on tape that you love about J.K. Um, so his his best trait is probably his ability to make people miss in the open field. And that's one that translates pretty well to the NFL. The drawback that I have with J.K. Dobbins is that he was in such a simple offensive system that allowed him to excel because they had so many weapons around him. I think it's really important for J.K. to have that same thing again. And it's going to be really dependent on the offensive line because there were many plays where he gets hit in the backfield there's about to get hit in the backfield and he usually just gets to the line of scrimmage and that's about it it's reliant on the offensive line to really open up holes for him 
he doesn't use that elusiveness behind the line of scrimmage, but he uses it after he gets past the first level. So I, I like J.K. Dobbins. I think he's a fine running back. That one's going to be really landing spot dependent because I also think he works better in his own running scheme than he does in a power running scheme. Yeah, I agree. Now, I'm, I'm trying to look up. So I, I do data and I do film. The one guy that J.K. reminds me of, and I think there's just so many similarities, I think that's why I don't like him. He reminds me of Bishop Sankey, where Bishop Sankey fooled all of us. Were you evaluating back when Bishop came out? No, because I actually wasn't into dynasty football at that time. I was just in a normal redraft league. And at that time, I tried everything possible to not draft rookie running backs. <laughs> I mean, when you look at Bishop Sankey's 2000, uh, you know, he came out in 14. I mean, everything is so similar. The percentage of the receiving yards, his yards per reception, rush, even his dominator rating was similar. Now, his best year, he he was at a 42.6% dominator rating. You don't probably even look at data. So I'm just kind of going by my data metrics compared to JK's 29% uh, dominator rating. And, and that's something that as a data guy, I, I could call myself, we look at that dominator rating as far as the metric side, right? On the film side, I totally agree with you. I look for vision. Uh, I look for their speed. And then I want to confirm that at the combine. And then I, I do some look at look at pass blocking. But on the data side, you look at that dominator rating, that market share. And then when you look at their combine, we haven't seen JK because he 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 opted out. But Bishop ran a 4.49. They were both 69.5 weight 209. They just seem so similar, and I I think that might be some bias that I have. Um, but then when I turn the tape on, talk about this for a minute. A lot of JK's runs I see out of that RPO where Justin Fields is is kind of having those linebackers hesitate for a minute. They don't know if he's going to keep it handed to JK. Do you think that could affect him? Because I think he, like you said, he's he's uh, landing spot dependent. I think he'd be great in Baltimore. Do you think that um, that has any effect on his NFL success being in that type of offense? No, because that that offense is normally based on zone concepts. So it's, it's going to be a similar concept as a zone scheme, just instead of uh, just making sure they kick out that D end, they're just leaving the D end free. But it's still a zone concept because they're taking that 45 degree angle instead of just pushing forward on whoever's in front of them. So you don't see as much of, you know, that power gap blocking from Ohio state um, because they did so much out of, you know, the inside outside zones with the RPOs. Now, one player that I think we both like that a lot of people are getting or hating on, and then you might be the conductor of this train and that's uh, the sauce, right? Uh, AJ Dillon. Sauce. Yeah. Talk to me about A.J. Dillon. Let's let's have a little A.J. Dillon party. So I think A.J. Dillon's obviously going to succeed the most in a power running scheme. Don't ask him to be in his own running scheme because he's not. He doesn't have lateral agility, and that's not where he succeeds. He's a guy, he's six feet tall, 247 pounds, but is freakishly fast, ran a 4.53. So his speed score is through the roof. So anyone who decided to bet me that A.J. Dillon wasn't going to run that fast obviously lost because I knew he was running for, he was lower than 4.6 and it was guaranteed because he actually only put on uh, three pounds from high school to college. And he ran a 4.55 in high school. Yeah, so this guy has the speed. I think a lot of the worries that people see on film were that A.J. Dillon doesn't always like to go into contact sometimes. And he kind of shies away from some contact. But the way I see it is when you're carrying the ball that many times for a really, 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 really shitty team, I wouldn't want to continue to get bruised over and over again just to lose. Obviously, A.J. Dillon has the ability to plow people over. And, and he does do that. And I think what's more exciting is when you actually see the passes that he 
caught are actually decently impressive because that quarterback had zero accuracy and he was able to really pluck some of those balls out of the air. And you're seeing a guy do that at 247 pounds. And I think he's just going to be able to do that a little bit more in the NFL. But right now, I think A.J. Dillon works the best in being the second back of a two-back system. So my preferred landing spot for him obviously would either be Seattle or the Bills, because I think he would pair really, really nicely with Devin Singletary, because I doubt they're going to give Devin Singletary the lion's share of the work. Yeah, and, and and I really I really like AJ Dillon, and you know, like you mentioned, there, there's players that they talk, they think about their career. This is this is what they do to make a living. So is AJ Dillon going to continue to put himself at risk of getting injured? We see on tape he's got all the skills necessary to be successful in the NFL. You know, I've seen comparisons to Derrick Henry. I don't know if we want to go that far. I mean, I don't. And I they think diff- gonna, they have different play styles. I yeah, think. but I think he's going to be a very good back. I don't know if he's going to be leading the league in rushing, but I think he's going to be a good back. I mean, I kind of compared him to uh, Jamal Lewis. I see that big back. He can catch if you ask him to catch. Similar to Henry, right? Henry had, I think, 17 receptions his last year at Alabama. I mean, I think that A.J. can do that if they ask him to do it. But I think he needs to fall into the right system, like you said, to be successful at the NFL level. And that would be a great landing spot in Buffalo, you know, I'm not 100% on the Devin Singletary train. Maybe you aren't either, uh, which I think that might be a nice one-two punch in Buffalo. So that would be a great landing spot. One more back before we move to receivers. What about, talk to me about Zach Moss. I've been seeing a lot of love for Zach Moss lately on Twitter. Tell me what you think about him. I don't like him. As we talk about this, he's actually still running his 40. (laughs) So like Zach Moss fits in a very specific style. And that's why he did well in Utah. U- the Utah offense is built around a power running game that is only the A gap and the B gap. So they had really strong, a really strong interior offensive line between the guards and the center. The issue is that you can't just repeatedly run in two gaps with the player over and over and over and over again and expect to succeed in the NFL. Zach Moss isn't fast. Sure, he catches the ball well, but it's more important that you're elusive than it is to break tackles. Because once again, if you can just be elusive in the open field, you don't have to break that tackle because you've already gotten by him and you don't lose your speed. But Zach Moss, for starters, doesn't have speed. And then you have his his natural ability is to run through a tackler not to get around them. That's just another step back because you're even going to be with defensive linemen that are just as fast as Zach Moss sometimes. So I'm not, I'm not going to take those chances on a guy like that, especially when people love him as much. His current ADP for right now is at pick 202 in a one quarterback league. And I'm certainly not going to pay that price for a guy that doesn't do anything really well. Yeah, and I um as a film slash data guy, you know, I part of my model I plug in combine numbers, and when I plug in a four six five, I mean he just drops to the bottom of the ranking. Um, and I go back to the film because what I do is I watch the combine, and then I'll say, all right, well four six five at the combine, does that is that what I saw on tape? And there's some games where it doesn't look it look he looks faster, but there are then some games where he does look like he's running a four six against bad opponents where he's just kind of got an edge on them. So I'm not a big fan of uh, Moss either, but we'll see that landing spot. Right now he's going high, but maybe if he falls in a draft to you know the fifth round or or the sixth round, maybe you can get some value later on and take a you know a dart throw at him. Zach Moss is a slower Sony Michelle. They both have terrible knees. They both do things really, really well, but they need to be put in a system that lets them succeed. They're not going to create opportunities on their own. And and Zach Moss does have injury concerns, right? Didn't he have a torn meniscus? Yeah, he tore that getting into bed. Okay, well, I'm not spending any draft capital on this guy then. Yeah, so, like, that's an injury I would get. 
<laughs> so, like, that doesn't make me feel good about a player. Okay, yeah. So, anyone listening, just go ahead and cross Zach Moss off your list. Unless he goes to Kansas City. Then at that point, we have to consider him at some point, right? Somewhere. I don't know if I would. Well, if they're giving up first and second round picks for Darwin Thompson, let's go ahead and get uh, Zach Moss in our fantasy drafts so then we can trade him for a 2021 first, right, when he gets some hype from preseason. Right. Um, let's talk about receivers. Receivers. Talk about five receivers that you love. I know one, but let's talk about five of them. Go ahead. So I'll, I'll give you my top five. So that's C.D. Lamb, Jerry Judy, T. Higgins, Jalen Rager, and Justin Jefferson. So are my top five right now. That's without knowing landing spots. Okay. And, and most of those are probably going to go, you know, top three rounds, right? Um, yeah. And that's, that's really what we're looking for is, is receivers drafted in the top three rounds. Talk to me about, I don't know how much you've been following my prospect rankings and my blurbs on Twitter, because sometimes I just kind of go off the rails. I have uh, CeeDee Lamb as my third receiver in this class. Who do you have? Do you have him as your first? Yep. Or do you have, talk to me about CeeDee Lamb. Um, I think he's up and away the best wide receiver in this class. I think if you just look at his ability to both create space in the open field, as well as use his body to catch, you know, to high point balls and use that body control on deep go routes. I think that's everything that you want in a player of his size. CD Lamb does it so effortlessly. I would say he's the best in the open field out of all the wide receivers in this class because you see him just over and over and over and over and over again make people look silly in the open field. But then you see him on a go route up against like a cover two, cover two man where you have that safety that just gets there late and he still takes the shot and holds onto the ball because he uses his body in such a way that he makes sure he can protect the football away from the cornerback and away from the safety. And that was with Jalen Hurts, who doesn't historically throw really, really well deep balls. It's all because of CeeDee Lamb that he's able to do that. And what, uh, where would you draft CeeDee Lamb? Like, where do you think his ceiling is going to be. If you had a redraft today, name some receivers, if you can, off the top of your head, some name brand receivers that maybe the listeners are going to know. Who would you would take CeeDee Lamb over some players? Um, so I would like take him over Michael Gallup, Tyler Boyd. Uh, what about DJ Moore? No. Okay, I, 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 was, I was high on I'm him. a DJ Moore stan. <laughs> All right, well, we're in the same boat there. Okay, well, let's talk about who's number two on your list. Gerald Judy. We know on tape you can see his electric route running ability, his separation skills. What are some other things that you see on tape from Jerry? He's just another one of those guys that as soon as you think you have him cornered, you don't. Because we just see his acceleration and deceleration are probably the best of any wide receiver in this class. Well, maybe not his acceleration because it's hard to beat Henry Ruggs. But his deceleration to stop on a dime is probably better than just about anyone else in this class. And and that's really important in both route running as well as just making guys miss in the open field and making them just look silly when they over-pursuit. The way he runs his routes are just insane. And and there was, I, I posted a tweet uh, when, when Alabama played LSU. The one thing I like about Jerry Judy and being a former quarterback myself, we developed that relationship with a receiver that we trust. And I, I saw there's a, there's a tweet actually came out today or yesterday about Tom Brady talking to Bill Belichick about, I trust certain receivers. And if you put somebody in the game that I don't trust, that I don't think can win us the game, I'm not going to throw him the football. 
get me receivers that I can trust. So as a quarterback, I had guys that no matter down and distance, that's who you're going to. And when I see Jerry Judy, that's the type of receiver that I see. When I was watching the LSU game and I posted this tweet, Alabama was behind. They were in comeback mode. Tua threw a pass. I think they were on the 10-yard line. Tua threw a pass across the middle to Jerry Judy, right through his hands, and he dropped it. So we're like, damn, he should have had that touchdown. The very next play, it was fourth down. They had to score. Tua, as soon as he got the ball, he looked at Jerry Judy. He had his eye locked on Jerry Judy. Jerry Judy ran an out route to the pylon, and Tua threw a dime right to him for a touchdown. And it's like... That moment, I was like, this quarterback trusts this receiver. That's his go-to guy. And I think when Judy goes to the NFL, he is going to be the quarterback's best friend because he knows that Judy's going to be able to get that separation. Now, Judy was getting separation in college. Is he going to get that in the pros? I think he can. Do you think he can get that separation in the pros? As long as they don't play press man coverage, yes. Yes. You think you think he has trouble with press coverage? Because he's not strong. Yeah, I, I definitely agree. He, he relies on his feet too much to get separation from the line of scrimmage than he does on his hands, which is the exact same thing that we see with a guy like LaVisca Chenault. Yeah, now I think that, I think I think Judy is going to need a good uh, landing spot. One landing spot that I think if he went to the New York Jets, if the New York Jets took him with their first pick, I think Sam Darnold would fall in love with him and he would be like automatic to Judy. And, and Adam Gase would need to be creative and how do you get Judy off press coverage, right? How do you, you'd put him in motion, right? You'd, you'd create plays to get him the ball. Do you think Judy's landing spot dependent, or do you think that he just needs to get into a position where he doesn't have, you know, the offensive coordinator just needs to be creative with him? Um, so a little bit of both. So I think the offensive coordinator needs to be creative, but at the same time, he needs to go to a place that will allow him to both play on the outside as well as in the slot. Obviously, Jerry Judy played over 40% of his snaps from the slot this past year at Alabama. And so when we talk about going to the Jets, I think one of the issues is that you have a guy like Jamison Crowder mm-hmm. that they recently signed, not this offseason, but the offseason before. That's the target hog in the slot, and that's what Adam Gase likes to target. So that, that's the only issue that I see with a landing spot like that. But it's definitely going to be on the offensive coordinator to make sure that they use him in a way that he doesn't get as much press man coverage because that's going to be a nightmare for Judy to get past if he doesn't improve. Well, talk to me about T. Higgins then. What do you see in T. Higgins that you love? He's just a complete wide receiver. Um, he's fast. He's big. He's strong. He is used to facing press man coverage, and he beats that really, really well. His ability to go up and get the ball is really strong, especially when he's coming in at 6'4". I mean, he's got long arms with a, hot, with a really long catch radius. You know, he's just good. He's a good wide receiver, and I think he's a guy that's going to keep dropping because I don't think he's going to go in the first round of the NFL draft. And that's going to move up some guys ahead of him that shouldn't be ahead of him. And it's really going to make for a nice buy at the end of the first round. All right. So let's talk about um, a guy that I like that you mentioned here. Talk to me about Visca. Visca Chanel Jr. Tell me about him. I think he was poorly used in the offense because he hasn't been able to excel as a wide receiver. Because he was constantly used both as an H-back, as a running back, out wide in the slot, everything. And they just used him however they wanted, just try to win games. But he really wasn't able to develop as a wide receiver. His ability to get off the line of scrimmage is really, really poor when it comes to press coverage. Sure, he's bigger and faster and stronger than most of the people that he played against. 
but he should be, right? Like, he has that size and the ability that, of course, he was going to be faster and bigger than everyone else that was around him. So that's that one's difficult for me to gauge because I think it's going to be really important where he lands because it has to go to a place that will give him manufactured touches until he becomes a solid wide receiver. And I don't know if every place... You know, every landing spot is, let's just say, advanced enough to be able to manufacture touches and use a guy in space effectively. The one thing the one thing that I think LaVisca has on his side is that every owner and every general manager watched the Super Bowl and they saw Debo Samuel used as the Swiss Army knife of the offense, jet sweeps, short passes, you know, deep slants. And I think that some team is going to fall in love with Visca thinking that he can do the same thing. And I, I really am a big fan of Visca and I'm hoping that he falls in drafts and hopefully the landing spot's nice, but we'll see what happens. Let's talk about the number one receiver I have in this class. And I think you labeled him as number five on your ranking is uh, Justin Jefferson. Tell me about Justin Jefferson and what you see. And, and maybe you don't see him as a one, two, or three because of talent-wise. But tell me what you see on tape, what you like about Justin Jefferson. Um, so I do like him. I think a part of the problem is I think he's going to get pigeonholed in the NFL because he excels coming out of the slot. Um, because obviously we saw that at LSU, that he was the slot receiver there. And he, he does really well coming out of the slot. I'm, that's no knock against him. But coming out of the slot, you don't face press man coverage as often as you do in some of the outside guys in the SEC. Justin Jefferson is good. He has good hands. He has good speed. He's a good route runner. And all of that is reliant on him coming out of the slot, though. We don't often see him see what he's going to do outside. So when we think about like potential landing spots and everyone likes to mock him to the Vikings, uh, that's not a good landing spot. <laughs> that's your team, right? Yeah. It, it's just not a good landing spot, which is, which is the issue because Adam Thielen works the best coming out of the slot. They would need additional outside wide receivers, but that's, that's a story for another day when it comes to wide receivers in Minnesota, because either we can't draft them or we can't keep them. So, which actually makes sense for Adam Thielen because we didn't draft him either. Yeah, so I, I like Justin Jefferson. I'm not saying that he's a bad receiver. I just want to see a little bit more from him before I'm actually claiming him as a top wide, as the top wide receiver in this class, knowing that right now he can only play one position. Yeah, I, I'm on record saying that uh, Jefferson will not make it past the Eagles in the first round. I When I was down in Indianapolis for the combine, I talked to some agents. I talked to some people in the industry, and apparently the Eagles absolutely love Jefferson. I think they would take Ruggs before Jefferson, but I don't think Ruggs is going to be there. And if you look at Jefferson's 2018 tape, he played a lot more outside. When Jamar Chase came in, Jamar Chase is that ideal X receiver. I mean, he is an alpha dog. Obviously, on your Devi, you probably have Jamar Chase one, two, or three. I mean, he is an absolute dog, and, and it moved Jefferson inside. He did play slot in 18, but he did play a lot of outside receiver in 18 when he led the, the team in receiving that year. Uh, but what does that say about him, right, that he's able to get beat out by a guy that is just coming into the offense? Well, like well, that's, well, that's yes. That's a super I mean, great sign. If, if you want to look at it like, what does it say about him? But Or you can say Joe Brady is this mind of like, let's let's create this offense where we just have all these talented players. I mean, I think Jamar Chase is probably not going to be a slot receiver. So they have him at outside. I mean, he can just, I think Jamar Chase is, is far and above probably a better player than Jefferson. But the one thing that I do like about Jefferson, and I did a breakdown on YouTube, 
is he has a chip on his shoulder over everything. And if you look at him, he was pissed off when he got a two-star ranking coming out of Louisiana. And he said, I appreciate this two-star. I'm going to show you what a two-star athlete looks like. He went to the combine after he ran a 4-4, what did he run, a 4-4-5, 4-4-3. What he said after the combine is, I wanted to run the 40 because I wanted to show everybody who said I couldn't run that I was fast. So it tells me that this guy has a chip on his shoulder. And when he gets to the NFL, when all these teams pass on him, if he gets you know, past Henry Ruggs is going to go, Lamb's going to go, Judy's going to go, Jefferson is the type of player that's going to remember that. And he is going to work so hard to be the best player out of that class. And and that's why I kind of think that he's going to be the number one in this class because I think he's going to work so hard to be that top dog because he just seems to always have a chip on his shoulder. Now, I could I could be way off, right? That's just kind of my opinion, the way I evaluate things and take in data. But I really like him. Let's talk about two more receivers. One is uh, Jalen Rager. Talk to me about Jalen Rager and where you have him and what you think about him. So I have him four. I think if I was forced to choose out of my five wide receivers who has the highest chance to bust, it's going to be Jalen Rager. And that's not saying that he's not a good player. It's going to be really, really difficult for offensive minds to use him properly. You know, it's the same thing with like LaVisca Chenault. Obviously, Jalen Rager is a much better route runner and just a much better receiver than LaVisca Chenault. But it's going to take some ingenuity to get Jalen Rager the ball. Sure, at in the Big 12, he was good at beating up on really shitty corners and safeties. And so was C.D. Lamb, right? But that doesn't change the fact that uh, Jalen Rager is going to be an electric player. But I think he's also going to be a divisive player as soon as he gets into the NFL. Not divisive on his team, but just divisive between fantasy analysts. Because I don't think right away in the first couple of years he's going to post a top 24 season. That's that's just my thought. I will gladly be wrong, and I wouldn't be surprised if he becomes a good wide receiver in a few years. But I think right away, I want to be able to take these other guys like Lamb and Judy and T. Higgins that really have a chance to make an impact right away. And then if I still think Rager um, has the opportunity to blossom, then I can trade any of those guys for Rager plus. But I'm not going to right now lose my chance on some of these other guys while taking Jalen Rager, if that makes any sense. Yeah, of course. It makes a lot of sense. And I'm glad that I had you on because listening to Peter, you know, I I, I do data, listening to Peter's data side and your film side. I mean, obviously the data shows that Lamb and Judy or actually Lamb, because Judy doesn't very look very good uh, on the on the data side. But Peter thinks that Rager has like the highest ceiling of the class based on data metrics. And, and, and you mentioned things that on tape that I see on tape, like he could potentially be a bust. I mean, he has uh, drop issues that, you know, I think are concerning. I think being in the right situation is going to be good for him. In my model, he does have a top 12 ceiling where he could be a top 12 receiver. But I think he could also, you know, fall back and, and, and not hit that ceiling. So it, it's, it's nice to get two perspectives uh, as far as prospects, but let's talk about one guy. You're you're in the great state of Minnesota, right? Were you talking about Tyler Johnson by chance? We are going to talk about the Tyler Johnson. I mean, he is the enigma of this draft. Again, even Peter said, you know, last year he was a potential first round pick. 
this year. He's not invited to the Senior Bowl. Talk to us about Tyler Johnson, and then I'll tell you what my data model says, which I think you're going to like. Tell me about Tyler Johnson. Um, well, he's a steal. Yes, uh, I agree with that. Go ahead. He's currently being drafted as the 15th best wide receiver in rookie drafts. Um, and the thing that Tyler Johnson's really going to excel at in the NFL is the same thing, being able to use that leverage and being able to see every game he's ever played because I'm a Gopher fan and a Gopher season ticket holder. But um, he he's just really good. And you, you were never going to see this flashy speed from him. That was never going to be his game, and it never was his game. But yet he's able to hit over 20 miles an hour in play speed, which I think play speed is so much more important in the grand scheme of things than, than just a straight 40 time when it comes to football. Uh, so Tyler Johnson is going to make an immediate impact for a team. And the fact that people are going to be able to get him in the fourth or fifth round and he's instantly going to be able to come in and be a great slot guy, that just means that I'm going to have a steal for my fantasy football team that much later in rookie drafts. So I have a data model that runs 26 metrics, and it shows me who has a top five ceiling. But most of those draft picks are taken in rounds one through three, right? There's like a, it's crazy. It's like 80, 80 plus percent of the top five receivers are drafted in rounds one through three. The wide receivers that aren't are pretty much players that you don't, I mean, nobody saw coming. Right. So I created another model that has metrics that says, okay, if you're drafted outside of the top three rounds, what data metrics do you have to hit to where you could potentially be a top five wide receiver? Now, when I filter out these metrics, these are the players that hit this. Tyreek Hill, he hit top five. Antonio Brown, he hit top five. Brandon Lloyd, he hit top five. Yikes. Bobby Wade. uh, I think he played for the Bears. He, he was drafted in round five, but he never hit top five. Rashard Matthews, Brandon Marshall, who hit a top five. Kevin Walter, who was drafted round seven, he hit, ended up getting a top 24 season. Scotty Miller, who's on the Bucks, we haven't seen what he does. And then Tyler Johnson. Tyler Johnson is everything you want from a production standpoint, data-wise. I mean, he hits every single box. So... I want Tyler Johnson to be drafted because if he is, he has the potential to be a top five wide receiver according to you know my model. It means nothing, but to me, it means a lot. So if Tyler Johnson is drafted by somebody, I am going to want him on my roster. So then we got to hope he gets drafted. We got to hope he gets drafted. Okay. He will. I don't think that's going to be the issue because I've seen just so much production from him. And I think they... We saw a guy, what, six, seven years ago that had these exact same traits and did run a 40 at the co- at his pro day and ran really, 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 really slow and ran a 4.7740. But yet people weren't worried about that 40 time. And that guy's Keenan Allen. And they both share incredible similarities in their game. Um, both rely on route running to get open and have better play speed than they do a 40 time. His 40 time was probably going to be like a 4.67. If he gets drafted, for anyone listening, if Tyler Johnson gets drafted, he's worth a stash on your fantasy roster. If he were to get drafted, let's just say he gets drafted in the last round, second to last round by Dallas Cowboys or Jacksonville Jaguars. What type of draft capital in your fantasy league are you going to spend on Tyler Johnson? Middle of the third round, 
because that's where he'll go. Um, but I'll I'll spend up to end of the second round, and I won't have a problem with that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. If he if he gets drafted at all, I'm going to take him in the second round because my model loves him if he's drafted. Again, we don't know his 40 time, but I'm going to hope it's a 4-6-1. But let's talk about one more receiver. We didn't talk about him at all. He didn't hit any of my metrics. He hasn't hit your film. Talk to me about Henry Ruggs. What do you think about Henry Ruggs? He's fast and he's a good route runner. So what does that mean? Is he going to be a good fantasy player? Is he going to be a good NFL player? He's going to be a better NFL player than he is for fantasy football. Just like the same way that it took Deshaun Jackson a few years to become a relevant fantasy asset, it's going to be that exact same thing with Henry Ruggs. So what kind of draft cap are you spending on him in your fantasy drafts? I'm not going to be able to get him because he's going either at the end of the first round or the beginning of the second, and I'm not going to take a chance there. I'd rather buy him after two years than spend any rookie draft capital because I don't think he's going to make a boom in either of his first two years in the NFL. One thing that receivers, when you draft in your fantasy draft, it's nice to take running backs early because receivers, if they don't hit that first year, you can typically buy low. Like in Keel Harry, Paris Campbell, other than A.J. Brown, there's certain receivers as rookies, they don't have that great year. You can buy them low. So Henry Ruggs could be that player. Let someone else in your league draft him, spend high draft capital, then go after that player after the first or second year, you know, and stock your stock your roster. Yeah, Nikhil Harry's a fun one because I both bought him and sold him in a league in the same day. <laughs> so hopefully you sold for more than you bought. I did. Yeah. Okay. I What did I buy him for? It was super flex. So I traded uh, Kirk Cousins for Ryan Tannehill and Nikhil Harry. And then I traded my 2021 first round Debbie pick and Nikhil Harry for the 101 in Debbie this year. And then I traded the 101 for the 103 and like three other picks. <laughs> That's how you run a league. That's why you need to follow Kane on at Debbie underscore K-A-N-E on Twitter. My you got to be sneaky. Sneaky. That show, show these listeners how to run a fantasy league, how to be in a Debbie league. Name one more receiver. One more receiver that we're not talking about that you have on your radar that you like. I'll give you two um, because they're both going pretty late. So Lynn Bowden is going at pick 33 in a one quarterback league. So what is that? End of the third round. Lynn Bowden was a quarterback in high school, transferred to wide receiver this past year at Kentucky. He was a quarterback again, running a wildcat system, and he ran for over seven yards a carry because he's that electric in the open field. Um, He's not going to be a polished route runner yet, but if you can get, him with a good wide receiver that can teach him a few things i think he's going to be really really good just the way that he's able to make people miss in the open field i think is really really nice the next is actually going in the middle of the fourth round that's quintez cephas wide receiver coming out of wisconsin and he's not going to go high in nfl drafts because there was a sexual assault charge that ended up being dropped and some off-field issues but he's a good player, and I think he's going to do well in the right system. We heard we heard some talk from um, both Arnett and Akuda that talked about how good of a of a route runner Cephas was. Yeah, the best receiver Akuda faced. Yeah, is Quintez right. Cephas. Yep, yeah, he said Cephas was the best receiver he ever faced. And right now he's going as a wide receiver twenty two in rookie drafts. So I'm going to take my shot. It's worth hell. The hit rates on fourth round pick are less than 4%. 
So you might as well just take a shot if you're going to take it. If not, just trade it. Yeah. I mean, if, you, if you're going to draft a receiver, I mean, just based on, on my experience and, and my model, focus on the guys drafted in the first three rounds. If you're going to draft a receiver out of the first three rounds, make sure it's Tyler Johnson because he has all the metrics to where he can have a top five ceiling. Um, but talking about Lynn Bowden, didn't he – I mean, he went to Kentucky, right? So there's some Randall Cobb comparisons. Didn't he lead the SEC in rushing? He did. And he he played like three different positions. Yep. He was the Wildcat quarterback and led them in rushing at over seven yards a carry. I mean, just an absolute beast. And and he's interesting. This year's draft. And he retweeted me, just so you know. (laughs) I'll have to check that out. I didn't know that. This year's draft is going to be so unique. I mean, they're talking about we've had no pro days, right? Because in years past, prospects have risen based on their pro days. We've had no special team. Each team has allowed like 25 special visits of prospects. We've had none of those. This is going to be an interesting draft. We're going to have players that may not get drafted that could become players in the NFL just because the NFL didn't have a chance to do their due diligence and do all the recruiting that they wanted. I mean, I think shortly after the combine happened, they pretty much shut everything down because of the coronavirus. Yeah. And that's actually what Daniel Jeremiah said, um, who works for the NFL network is that be prepared for a lot more guys that go undrafted to make big impacts on football teams. Yes. I can, I completely agree with that because it's like, I'm used to following the pro days all these different things, and we've had none of that. So it's like, I have to trust the model. We're going Tyler Johnson all day, every day. Hopefully, he doesn't, go to, hopefully he doesn't go to Minnesota, right? Uh, like, he'll still work <laughs> in Minnesota. I just don't think he's going to be on the field as much. Well, I'm going to get you out of here. I, I appreciate you coming by. Since we're talking about Minnesota, I'm going to ask you one more question. Sure. Actually, I'm, I'm going to ask you a lot of questions. This is not even a podcast. This is just two guys talking fantasy football. Talk to me about Stephon Diggs leaving Minnesota for Buffalo. I mean, I'm sure because of the the Minnesota miracle or however you guys name that, what was it like for Diggs to just kind of be like, he seemed like he was unhappy for years and now he's gone. Talk to me about Diggs. Like, what do you think about that situation? Um, I'm I'm okay that he's gone. It's going to just be hard to replace him. Um, I think the hardest thing you can do in life just in general, is to consistently be somewhere that you don't want to be. I think just whether we're talking about football or we're talking about anything else, just being somewhere you don't want to be and you don't feel valued and respected, I think is just difficult. Um, Obviously, I don't think we're going to understand or know everything that happened with Stefan Diggs and, you know, the Vikings coaching staff. But we know that he wanted to be treated like the wide receiver one all the time. And he wasn't going to get that because Adam Thielen was just playing better. Once again, Rick Spielman, the general manager of the Vikings, gets way more than he should have for trading another wide receiver that has not necessarily character issues, but attitude issues, mm-hmm. right? We saw it with Percy Harvin that was that was traded for a first and a third round pick to the Seattle Seahawks. And then now you get even more for Stefan Diggs than you got for Percy Harvin. So, you know, I think I think it's going to be difficult to replace him, but the Vikings made the right call, at least in my book. All right, so you've gotten rid of Laquan Treadwell. I think who's there, B.C. Johnson. Do you have – is Doxon there now? 
Um, he was just signed as a one-year deal this past season, so he's not technically under contract. But um, we have Chad Beebe. Okay, that's who, a winner. He broke his foot like week two or week three. Getting out of bed? No, uh, I don't know what he was doing. I think he got tackled weird and crunched up his foot. And All right, happened. so is it, are there any receivers in this class that, that could replace Diggs? Are the Vikings going to go after somebody? Yeah, I think they have to. It It's more just about if they're going to be willing to take that first-round shot on a guy or not. I think a guy that would be really interesting on the Vikings is Brian Edwards. Oh, I love him. I think he'd be really, really interesting on that team because he can actually be a full outside threat all the time. Same with Michael Pittman. Both of these in the second round would actually make a whole lot of sense for the Vikings. Some other, like Isaiah Hodgins, if now we're talking fourth, fifth round picks, um, he makes sense. So there's some guys that I could see going there. I just don't know which way the Vikings are going to go. Quintus Cephas? I doubt that. <laughs> All right, Ken, hey, it's been a pleasure, man. I've, I've loved having you on. I appreciate you coming on, man. I'm a big fan of yours. On Twitter, at Debbie underscore Kane, K-A-N-E, at Debbie Diet. Uh, actually, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end you on this last question, right? I've, I've, I've had too much, too much of this bullet right here. So we're going to end this all on – what is that? What is that? Oh, I switched beers. Oh, what is, what is that? So now this is an Uda Pills, which is also made in Minnesota. Um, so this is actually the beer that K-Fan sponsors, which is our sports radio talk channel in Minnesota. Um, so they wanted to get their own beer made, and it's pretty delicious. That looks so good. Yeah, it's a, it's a blonde <laughs> ale. I think it's really, really good. All right, so I'm going to get you out of here so you can finish that Blondale. Tell me some things that maybe some listeners need to follow you. What are some things that uh, they can where they can find you? Um, yes, you can always find me on Twitter at Devi underscore Kane. You can find my writing over at DLF. You can find our Patreon channel that we recently made, The Draft Lounge, which I know you're, you're a fan of anytime you put lounge in the name. I love the it. The Draft Lounge. Um, that was okay. just... Four guys that wanted to get together and talk about college football some more when with other people that just like talking about it. So we have both draft guys and Devi guys. So anytime you have a Devi draft or rookie draft coming up, especially Devi drafts, we want to make a big board for you, knowing who's already gone. So you can have a clear idea as to who you should be drafting. And as the college season hopefully kicks off, we just want to talk about college football with people. Because that's what brings us joy is just talking about football. And um, all four of us are either married or engaged. And our significant others don't want to listen to us anymore. So we just made a spot to do it. So, you know, our wives and fiancés don't have to hear about it. I love it. I love it. Well, anyone that's listening, follow my man Kane. He's a great follow. He's always got a top five list. Anytime you need some personal advice, hit him up on DM. He'll take care of you. Kane, I'm going to get you out on this right here. A wild take, all right? Comparing this wide receiver slash running back class to previous classes that you evaluated, mm -hmm. give me a wild take. What do you think is going to transpire? Um, I don't think that we're going to see any of the high draft capital at running back that we're actually expecting to. So I'd, I doubt that any running backs go in the first round. I doubt that any running backs go in the top half of the second round.
Thanks for sticking around. As I mentioned at the start of the podcast, I wanted to add some tracks for those that may be interested in jazz music. I want to introduce you to some really good music by some really talented artists. These artists and this music has influenced me over the years, and on this episode, I want you to hear Kind of Blue. It's a studio album by American jazz trumpeter Miles Davis. It was recorded on March 2nd and April 22nd, 1959. Kind of Blue has been regarded by many critics as the greatest jazz record ever produced and one of the best albums of all time. Its influence on music, including jazz, rock, and classical genres, has led writers to also deem it one of the most influential albums ever recorded. Kind of Blue is often cited as the best-selling jazz record of all time. Now, Miles Davis did not like to rehearse. And for this recording, the musician had little idea what they were about to record. Davis had only given the band sketches of scales and melody lines on which to improvise. Once the musicians were assembled, Davis gave brief instructions for each piece and then set to taping the sextet in the studio. And what you're about to hear has been regarded by critics as Davis's greatest work. It was a defining moment of 20th century music. It's an album that towers above its peers, a record generally considered as the definitive jazz album, a universally acknowledged standard of excellence. The reason I've chosen this one is because if you don't like Kind of Blue, you won't like jazz. This is the cornerstone of any jazz collection. Now I'm going to play side one of this vinyl. It's only three songs, but about 25 minutes of music. Track one is called So What? Track two is called Freddy Freeloader, and track three is called Blue and Green. I hope you enjoy it, and I'll see you next time in the lounge.